0: and welcome to the DC Debrief for Friday, January 19th, 2024. I'm your host, John Stolnes, and coming up, Congress avoids a shutdown and negotiates on border security and Ukraine aid. Mayorkas impeachment rolls along. Biden sets his sights on overdraft fees and tax credits. And we'll preview the New Hampshire primary with The Hill's national politics reporter Kate Martell on the ground in the Granite State. All that coming up on this edition of the DC Debrief. Reminder, everyone, tell your friends, tell your family members about the D.C. Debrief. This is the very best podcast in the land to get you caught up on everything that happened this week in Washington, D.C. I will give you the news. I will give you the news makers. I'll let you hear what they have to say, and then you make up your mind as to how you feel about it. We're up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. So, If you have a family member or a friend you think would like the podcast, please let them know about the DC debrief. All right, everybody, with that out of the way, let me debrief you on what happened in the nation's capital this week. Iowa caucus results showing that the polling in Iowa was correct all along, despite some of the things that you heard from candidates, people who were on the ground covering uh, this uh, this Iowa caucus, that the vote might be closer than people think, that the polls weren't really reflecting what the people in Iowa were going to do. At the end of the day, it held serve. And Donald Trump wins, as expected, the Iowa caucus in blowout fashion. CBN News' Matt Galka has the recap.
1: MAGA make... America great again, and America first. America first is a very important part of America. Donald Trump celebrated a big victory in Iowa. The former president took more than 50% of the vote on caucus night. Rivals Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley were neck and neck, but finished a distant second and third. The 30-point victory sent a strong message that Trump dominates the Republican Party. And I really think this is time now for everybody our country to come together. We wanna to come together, uh, whether it's Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative, it would be so nice if we could come together. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis devoted a lot of resources to the Hawkeye State. Polls showed him fading in the run-up to the caucus, but he edged out Haley by two points for second with no plans to suspend the campaign. They were predicting uh, that we wouldn't be able uh, to get our ticket punched here out of Iowa, but I can tell you, because of your support, in spite of all of that that they threw at us, everyone against us, we've got our ticket punched out of Iowa. Despite the third place finish, former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley told supporters her campaign has the momentum coming out of Iowa.
2: I can safely say, tonight, Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race.
1: The results did narrow the field. Tech businessman Vivek Ramaswamy suspended his campaign and promptly endorsed Trump. Earlier tonight, I called Donald Trump to tell him that I congratulated him on his victory. And now going forward, he will have my full endorsement for the presidency. And I think we're going to do the right thing for this country. Turnout was lower than past GOP contests as Iowans braved frigid temperatures to cast their votes. Multiple media organizations called the night for Trump while voting was ongoing. Trump was lifted by white evangelicals, with one CNN entrance poll showing 53% of the voting bloc backing the former president. While Trump called on his opponents to drop out of the race, they're not resting. It's on to New Hampshire with that state's primary just a week away.
0: Republican debates scheduled for this week and this weekend have been canceled after Nikki Haley claimed she would not participate in any more of them unless Donald Trump also took part. Coming up, we'll have more on Iowa and we'll look ahead to New Hampshire in our deep dive for this week. National Defense Supplemental. At the White House on Wednesday, congressional leaders, including the top Republicans and Democrats in the House and Senate, as well as other committee leaders, met with President Biden as he impressed upon them the urgent need to send more money to Ukraine. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said the president made the stakes of
1: inactivity clear. If we don't come to Ukraine's aid, that the consequences for America around the globe would be nothing short of devastating.
0: Republican House Speaker Mike Johnson says House Republicans made their priorities clear to the president and Democrats as well. We understand that all these things are important, but we must insist, we must insist that the border be the top priority. A bipartisan group of senators has been negotiating with the White House on a Ukraine funding deal tied to border security changes that has little to no chance of passing the House.
1: I told the president what I have been saying for many months, and that is that we must have change at the border, substantive policy change.
0: Ahead of the meeting, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby pushed back against House Republican resistance to what they say would be a blank check for Ukraine's war effort.
1: And this whole idea of a blank check also is not true. Every single aid package that we provided Ukraine, we have done consultations with Congress. So there have been and will continue to be a lot of outreach from the administration with members of Congress about Ukraine.
0: Schumer said he believed the odds of a Senate border Ukraine deal was better than 50-50, and that the president was willing to compromise on border legislation that would free up his proposed $110 billion supplemental aid package. Now, one of the things that could hold up any kind of border deal in the Senate Is Donald Trump, reporting from CNN and other outlets, say that he is really the big obstacle right now in reaching a comprehensive immigration deal? And Republican senators are coming out against Trump's opposition. Our GOP Senator Kramer said it makes it harder because there are a lot of people that take their lead directly from him. Um, the CNN report notes that Trump allies on Capitol Hill have been lobbying the former president to get more involved in these negotiations and to come again come out against any Senate compromise of course as we just mentioned House Republicans are are dead set against any kind of immigration compromise that the Senate might reach so uh, there are some additional headwinds some additional obstacles that if a deal is going to get done in the Senate it also has to pass the house and many of the House Republicans are taking their lead from from former President Donald Trump, who in their minds is going to be the next president of the United States, or at the very least, is going to be the nominee. Government shutdown averted. The Senate and the House both passed temporary spending measures called continuing resolutions on Thursday that will keep the government open until the beginning of March. A partial government shutdown would have taken place this week had Congress not acted on Thursday. On this vote, the yeas are 314, the nays are 108. In the House, 207 out of 209 Democrats voted in favor of the CR, including Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro, the top Democrat on the Appropriations Committee.
2: There is now a mutual understanding that the only way to finally end the saga of 2024 funding is to write appropriations bills that can earn the support of both Democrats and Republicans in the House and in the Senate.
0: However, Republicans in the House were split. Kay Granger was one of those who voted in favor of avoiding a shutdown.
2: Congress has much more work to do and more time to need is needed to negotiate bills on both sides they could
0: support. While fellow Republican Chip Roy voted against saying Americans are tired of reckless spending by Congress.
1: Spoke to thousands of Americans, not one of them, not one American said, please Congressman Roy, add more money to the debt. Please Congressman Roy. Keep spending money we don't have.
0: The Senate passed the CR 77 to 18, it now goes to President Biden's desk to be signed before the Friday midnight deadline. This is the third time Congress has had to pass a short term spending bill as they struggled to come to an agreement over a full year spending bill. A recent deal between House Speaker Mike Johnson and Democratic Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on how much to spend next year has met some resistance from within the far right of his own party. Johnson's predecessor, Kevin McCarthy, lost his speakership after working with Democrats on the first continuing resolution late last year. Mayorkas impeachment hearing. On Thursday, House Republicans held their second and final impeachment hearing into Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, this time zeroing in on what they say is Mayorkas's dereliction of duty and the human toll of the crisis. CBN News national security correspondent Caitlin Burke has more.
3: My daughter Ashley has left this earth 967 days ago. Today would have been her 29th birthday. If we had stricter border policies, my daughter would still be alive today.
2: During emotional testimony, two grieving mothers told lawmakers about the daughters they've lost. Tammy Noble's daughter Kayla murdered by a suspected MS-13 gang member released by Border Patrol into the U.S.
4: Had DHS employee employees performed a visual inspection of the assailant's body, they would have seen MS-13 gang-related tattoos on his body, disqualifying,
3: disqualifying him from entering the U.S.
2: Josephine Dunn's daughter Ashley lost to fentanyl poisoning. This weapon of mass destruction has killed over 100,000 Americans on our soil for two years in a row. Under Secretary Mayorkas' leadership, or lack thereof, fentanyl is an invasion. The weapon of mass destruction has caused unimaginable numbers of deaths,
3: unmeasurable damage to our country's family, families
2: including my own. Republicans say these tragedies could have been prevented.
1: The truth is Secretary Mayorkas has disregarded court orders Laws passed by the United States Congress and has lied to the American people.
2: Democrats maintain Mayorkas has not committed an impeachable offense and argue this inquiry is not the way to bring about immigration reform. The president retains exclusive constitutional power to replace Secretary Mayorkas with another official who he would charge with pursuing exactly the same policies here. Deborah Pearlstein, a constitutional law expert from Princeton University, testified it's Congress that has the most power to affect change at the border. purpose of actually addressing the needs and easing the pain of the people who live in this country, the framers of the Constitution thought that no one in government could do more to make a real difference than you. Republicans acknowledged Congress does have the ability to pass immigration reform legislation, but they accused Secretary Mayorkas of completely reversing or ignoring
0: existing laws. Tax deal. Negotiators in Congress have preliminarily agreed to an extension of the child tax credit, or actually more an expansion of the child tax credit, uh, which expired two years ago. The pandemic era expansion of the CTC increased the benefit to as much as $3,600 per child and half of that tax benefit was paid out in six monthly checks in 2021. For those of you uh, who were getting those checks, uh, it was kind of surprising to get those checks in the mail for uh, a few months there. Despite its popularity, the expanded tax credit expired in 2021 and in 2022, uh, the CTC went back to its earlier limit of $2,000 per child. Those who are in favor of the credit say that decrease from $3,600 to $2,000 had a greater effect on poor families than most. And they say they typically use that money to fund school and clothing and other costs related to their children. Some have argued that the old tax credit was also too dependent on the parents of children having enough income to qualify for it. Some parents that had little to no income were not eligible for the CTC. I know that kind of flies in the face of logic this expansion would do away with that. Uh, The deal in Congress does not return the monthly payments that people were getting. Uh, Some anti-poverty advocates and Democratic lawmakers were urging for those monthly payments to come back. Families with children under 17 will be able to claim the child tax credit when they file their annual tax returns. And if they don't owe taxes or are already getting a tax refund, they can get up to $1,800 added to their 2023 tax refund, and most taxpayers will file their 23 tax returns prior to to April 15th this year. So this big bipartisan tax deal moved a little closer toward reality earlier this week when the release of the bill text came out, and it received a joint tax score ahead of a Scheduled Ways and Means markup. Uh, The bill came to within $262 million of balancing over 10 years, which in terms of Congress is pretty good. It got an important vote of confidence from Representative Richie Neal, who's a Republican, and he is, uh, I'm sorry, the the top Democrat on the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, But some key senators are continuing to hold off on their full support. So not a done deal, but it looks like the wheels are moving in the direction of an expansion of the child tax credit, which. Again, advocates would say would would benefit poorer families and middle class families uh, would also continue to see an increased benefit from it. Trump immunity in a two in the morning post on Truth Social, former President Trump continued to sound off on his claim that presidents should be immune from prosecution no matter what they do while serving in an official capacity in office. Trump wrote a president of the United States must have full immunity. Without And he wrote this in all caps, by the way, without which it would be impossible for him or her to properly function. Any mistake, even if well intended, would be met with almost certain indictment by the opposing party at term end. Even events that, quote, cross the line must fall under total immunity or it will be years of trauma trying to determine good from bad. There must be certainty. Example, you can't stop police from doing the job of strong and effective crime prevention because you want to guard against the occasional rogue cop or bad apple. Sometimes you just have to live with the great but slightly imperfect. All presidents must have complete and total presidential immunity or the authority and decisiveness of a president of the United States will be stripped and gone forever. Hopefully this will be an easy decision. God bless the Supreme Court. Now, in a recent poll that came out earlier this month by CBS News, YouGov, Americans were asked if Trump should have immunity from criminal prosecution for actions he took while he was president. Sixty-four percent disagreed with that argument, while about thirty-six percent said the former president should have immunity. And of course, this um, this polling you can really see the party lines here uh, when it comes to uh, when it when it comes to who is in favor of Trump specifically uh, having immunity. Sixty-nine percent of Republicans said they are in favor of Trump having immunity for conduct while in office. Only 14% of Democrats and 32% of independents said the same. Now some constitutional lawyers and, uh, and, and skeptics of Trump's claim have argued that that means President Biden could do anything he wants while, while he's in office, some things that could negatively affect Republicans, Republican presidential candidates, even Donald Trump himself, and then claim immunity after he leaves the White House under the type of immunity that Donald Trump is talking about. Of course, this case will go before the Supreme Court. It's unclear when the Supreme Court will hear this co- hear this case exactly. Uh, but uh, of course, there's a federal appeals court that was hearing this case last week. They have yet to reach a decision on the, the arguments that Trump lawyers were making. But But uh, we'll see once the federal appeals court makes their decision, the Supreme Court will then presumably take it up and it'll likely be heard before the election, but possibly not before Trump becomes the party's nominee. The timing on all this is still very much up in the air, but uh, the the Trump immunity claims are not going away and they'll continue to be a part of the campaign over the next few weeks and months, at least until the Supreme Court gets the case. First Step Act hearing. On Wednesday, the Senate Judiciary Committee held a hearing on the fifth anniversary of the passage of the First Step Act, which is a bill aimed at cutting unnecessarily long federal prison sentences and improving conditions in prisons, making it easier for people in prison to rehabilitate themselves and rejoin society in a productive and meaningful way. CBN's Hillary Powell reports both Republicans and Democrats say the act is largely accomplishing its goals.
4: My story is a story of redemption. That's an empty word unless change has happened. And I can assure you, change has definitely happened. On Capitol Hill Wednesday, Matthew Charles recalled being sent back to prison after serving 21 years of a 35 year sentence for a drug conviction. It was nothing he did. The U.S. Department of Justice won an appeal on a technicality. In 2019, the First Step Act afforded Charles his second chance it did two things, cut unnecessarily long federal sentences and improved conditions in federal prisons. Working with people that our side vilifies, from Jared Kushner to Lindsey Graham, but we just said, let's come together and do what is already working, what evidence-based shows it works, and have the byproduct of lowering crime, lowering recidivism, and doing what this country was called to do, to create more beloved communities. Heather Rice Minas is president and CEO of Prison Fellowship and has worked with Charles, now a born-again Christian. Only every so often do
3: we see a, a pretty substantial criminal justice reform pass like the First Step Act. It takes a long time. And I think it's very easy, especially in election
4: cycles, to steer away from reforms. But if we look at the results, this was a massive success. Success measured in numbers. Since 2018, the U.S. Department of Justice reports nearly 30,000 people in federal prisons have received earlier release anywhere from a few days to a few months early thanks to the First Step Act's clarification of the Good Time Credit Policy. Nearly 9 in 10 returning citizens have never been rearrested or reincarcerated. Rice minus says she wants to see the Bureau of Prisons continue to expand the use of nonprofit and other community-based organizations with a continued emphasis on sentencing reforms a mission affirmed by the Bible
3: Your faith will be renewed as you worship alongside people in prison who know Jesus and have come to realize his grace in a way that perhaps sometimes we can't
0: overdraft fees. Now on this podcast, I try to tell you about things that could affect you on, in, in, on, in, in your everyday life. And uh, I think this is one of those things. This week, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau released a plan to cap bank overdraft fees to $3. Now these are fees that happen when someone has spent more money out of their bank account than they actually have. Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. My hand's up. Generally, overdraft payment programs function as a kind of a loan. If a customer spends more money than they have, they can elect for the bank to process the transaction anyway, and then if they do, consumers have to pay back what the bank essentially loaned out, plus a fee, which on average comes to about $26 per overage on a national basis. That's according to Bankrate. The argument is that these overdraft fees more negatively affect low-income families, And lawmakers believe banks are using the poor to enrich themselves with these fees. Banks argue people should be penalized for spending more than they have in their accounts and that the fact that they're loaning money on their behalf, interest payments on that should be expected and that the fees are a tool they use to discourage people from doing that. Banks also argue that the government getting involved in restricting the profits of private companies is a slippery slope. Under the agency's new draft proposal, banks would be subject to tough credit card-like regulations on their overdraft programs unless they agree to lower fees on customers. The charges under this plan would be capped either to the amount necessary for a bank to cover its losses or to a federal maximum which could be set between $3 and $14. The government hopes to have this plan up and running by October of 2025, so uh, a year and a half from now, a little bit more than a year and a half from now, but uh, again, this has to go through a number of different steps in Congress, so we'll see what happens. And joining me to talk about the Iowa caucus and to give us a preview of what's to come in New Hampshire next week is The Hills' Kate Martell. She is their national political reporter. She is on the ground in New Hampshire right now, freezing, and she'll be uh, reporting on all the events leading up to next week's all-important GOP primary. Kate, thanks for coming on the DC Debrief. How are you?
3: Good. Thanks for having me. I just actually left a Nikki Haley event and I'm driving back and now I'm camped out on the side of the road at a really snowy Shell gas station. So, I,
0: what's the temperature right now?
3: Uh, 28 degrees, but I can tell you that is not it's colder than 20 than 28. <laughs> I'm using my own personal temperature calculator here and it is not <laughs> that warm here
0: <laughs> yeah i want whose idea was it to schedule these primaries in these cold weather states in january and february right i mean sh- should they not be like california uh you know uh, uh, arkansas you know some places where you know the temperatures are not going to be freezing cold while everybody's trying to get out and about and, and go to all these different events <laughs> you know
3: i have that question that why don't we have this new hampshire is beautiful in the summer i'm from new hampshire um originally and it's beautiful up the lakes region and out by the coast um, but I will say that New Hampshire has had the tradition of having the first nation primary for a century now. So yeah. even though it's cold, it you know all the candidates they put on their cold winter boots and their down parkas and they show up here and they still do the outdoor events.
0: Yeah, and all the residents are more than happy to to take part because it is important. I mean, it is it is a tent pole for New Hampshire for sure. Uh, before we get to New Hampshire, I did just want to take a, a look back at Iowa this week, and obviously. Trump led the field by 30 or more points going into the caucus on Monday. He he had that lead essentially in every poll the whole way. And then he won the Iowa caucus by, you guessed it, about 30 points, right? I mean, it was, I think the results mirrored what we saw in the polling leading up to it. So how impressive a vic- of a victory was this for Trump? What did this do for his campaign?
3: Yeah, it really did, John, solidify um, President Trump's front runner status that it was like you said, oh I think a win for the pollsters that they were able to call it so um so well and that they were able to get, you know within such a small margin of error predict the results of the caucus. Um, and you know, I think this as we're heading into the the other states now, the fact that you know, we've been hearing for the entirety of this campaign since Trump's announced he was running right after the midterm elections in 2022, that, you know, could Trump pull it off again, that you, you've been hearing that a lot of Americans were kind of sick of the chaos, sick of the p- constant, you know, political battles, and that tr- President Trump, you know, dip, was responsible for a lot of those. And then you saw the way that he was able to so, you know, clearly and decisively win the Iowa caucuses. And at this sense, I think, probably, um, you know, a shiver, down, a shiver down the spine of both Florida governor Ron DeSantis and, his rival, Nikki Haley, who I think we're really hoping that there was more kind of given the seams of Trump's frontrunner status, because now mm-hmm. they're seeing I think that he is really be, able to hold that on and has such a tremendous lead.
0: Did you get the sense that maybe there were people who didn't believe that Trump's lead in the polls was really that big? Because the response to it that I've seen from analysts was almost a surprise that Trump won by as much as he did when when this clearly mirrored what it seemed as though Iowans were saying leading, leading up to it.
3: Yeah, that's a good question because I think also when you listen to a lot of national news, um, you know, you hear a lot of the angst with the Trump campaign and a lot of, you know, I, I think that people didn't expect the lead to be nationally to, um, you know, base a, to be as big as it was. Um, but, you know, pollsters were predicting this and I, I, I think that, This didn't wasn't quite a surprise, but I think it more solidified what people Mm. were thinking nationally of was he able to hold on to this lead. And, um, you know, considering he has 91 current felonies that that he's fighting in court right now, that there's all these different aspects, I think, that were that were hurting Trump's potential campaign. But time after time, we're seeing that he was able to just push past those and if anything, use those to his advantage.
0: Despite the narrative surrounding her campaign that she was surging, and certainly she has surged in, in recent weeks, Nikki Haley finished third in the race behind DeSantis, who, who came in second, although it was pretty close, I think two points separating the, the two of them. Looking at DeSantis, how much does the second place finish boost him, even though he was still far behind Trump?
3: I think it really did boost him, John, that I think that had he not come in second place in Iowa, he probably would have dropped out by now, yeah. um, that- heading into New Hampshire. New Hampshire's not quite his his ground game. He runs a much more deeply conservative campaign than a lot of New Hampshire's voters um, you know, aligned with. New Hampshire is, I think, more of a, a libertarian, slightly less religious electorate than Iowa is. And that wasn't his ground game. So for him to, had he placed in third um, behind Nikki Haley in Iowa, then heads to New Hampshire, where right now, according to the Hill and Decision Desk HQ's polling average, has just about 5% support, um, that it would have been really, really hard to imagine a path forward. So I think he was able to resurrect his campaign a bit by having you know, a lead over Nikki Haley, even though, like you said, it was only by a few percentage points. Um, that now... He's not really making a big play at New Hampshire. He never really was. And, you know, watching his his campaign speech on on the night of the Iowa caucuses, you would have thought he won the whole thing, that he was thrilled that this really sent, I think, a surge of of energy into his campaign that he now thinks he can head to South Carolina and might have some life, whether or not that is the case. We can debate that. But. From the as far as the DeSantis campaign is concerned, they think that this is definitely buying them more time and that they can now move to southern states and where they think that they have um, a much stronger campaign presence than in New England.
0: One last thing on Iowa before we look ahead to New Hampshire is your sense of the voters in Iowa, the Republican voters specifically are they a good cross-section? Are they representative of the GOP voting bloc as a whole in the country? And by that, I mean, do you ha- do you get the sense that there's probably about the same amount of MAGA Republicans and never Trumpers and folks maybe who still just aren't sure in that state as maybe we might see amongst Republicans across the country?
3: Uh, that's an interesting point because, you no, know, initially as you started to ask that question, of whether Iowa's representative of Republicans as a whole nationally. I I would say not really, because Iowa, you know, tends to vote more far right than a lot of Republicans might vote, um, you know, and is more deeply evangelical um, that I don't think it necessarily is a cross section of the Republican Party. But when you break it down into supporters of former President Trump versus other Republicans that are voting, you know, not necessarily anti-Trump, but aren't necessarily looking for another four years of him that want a slight change. I think Iowa, you know, does give a pretty good cross-section that as far as the Republican Party goes, there's a huge contingent of supporters of former President Trump, but there's also, I think, a big chunk that divvies up between candidates of where that they would like to see the, the next four years go within a Republican administration. So, um, you know, you, I think you can divvy it up into Trump supporters versus non-Trump supporters pretty easily in, within the Republican Party. And within the non-Trump supporters, I think there's a lot more factions that go into that. Um, but I would I think actually gave a fair representation as far as that can, that angle goes.
0: Well, kind of latching on to that last point of the trump supporters who are never going to leave the former president and the non-trump supporters the folks who are voting for nikki haley ron desantis uh, vivek ramaswamy dropped out but i think a lot of people saw him as just a younger version of trump i would imagine just about everyone who was in favor of vivek ramaswamy the vast majority of them if not all of them are going to now support the president and of course ramaswamy was out at an event the following day stumping for donald trump so that would make some sense as you look at these last two desantis and haley if you know if desantis drops out how much of his support goes to trump and how much goes to haley and if if uh haley drops out how much of her support goes to desantis or trump i think that's a big question that that not a lot of folks have a, have a clear answer on it seems as though to me the haley supporters uh, the, would, would almost if 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 Haley were to drop out, that they would probably go DeSantis's way for the most part, considering the angst with which it seems as though the Trump campaign is is really pushing back on this idea of Haley as a VP possibility. What's your sense on on how that breaks down?
3: Yeah, that, that is the magic question um, yeah, that everybody is wondering because you know I, I think if DeSantis drops out, that. I, I think his support would probably go to both Haley and and former President Trump in, in, in such a way that when former that when Chris Christie dropped out, it's mm-hmm. pretty safe to say most of his support is going to Nikki Haley because a Chris Christie supporter was somebody that did not want Trump. That was their their biggest campaign priority. And that was why he ran his campaign. So. He was not a Chris Christie voter. Is much more moderate. Was going to then transfer transfer to Nikki Haley. Now Nikki Haley da- is now housing, I think, that part of the Republican Party that the Never Trumpers. Um, so if, if she were to ever drop out, I think there's a you know from being in New Hampshire and talking to you know a lot of Republicans. I think a lot of those might actually consider going back to voting to potentially to President Biden that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they may support Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, but Ron DeSantis is running a much more similar campaign, I think, to former President Trump than Nikki Haley is. And for the people within the Republican Party that really don't want another four years of Trump or would argue that Florida, that Ron DeSantis has the same type of of campaign, might actually cross the aisle. That's where mm-hmm. I think the, you know we see a lot of the moderate support. Um, so I, I don't think that there's a clear-cut answer to if Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley were to drop out. I don't think there's a clear place where that support would go. I think it would probably get divvied up. Um, it wouldn't be as clear-cut as Vivek Ramaswamy's support mm-hmm. going to Trump and Chris Christie's support going almost directly to Nikki Haley.
0: So as you're on the ground there in New Hampshire and all three remaining candidates are canvassing the state and will do so over the next few days, provided the weather (laughs) allows them to do that. Do you think that there are a sizable amount of undecideds amongst the Republican voters still in New Hampshire?
3: You know, I just came from a a Nikki Haley event where I spoke to two people who said that they were undecided and we're only five days away from. Um, the the First Nation primary, that yes, there are a, a, a contingent of people in the state that do not know who they're voting for. Um, and, you know, I, I th- actually boil that down to, you know, some people that I've been talking to in, in the state, seeing that they, they do not want President Trump to have another four years. And they're trying to game out where they can send their vote to have the most effective bang for the buck, so to speak. Um, and that You know, no candidate is necessarily quite doing it for them, but they know that they they don't want, you know, another four years of President Trump's administration probably aren't quite happy with President Biden either. So, you know, you always talk about these independents and these undecided voters. New Hampshire is pretty interesting because it's an open primary and independents and undeclared voters are allowed to vote. It's not just registered Republicans. Mm. So those, I think, are responsible for some of the undecided voters who are waiting to game out and see where could they put their vote that would likely more take it away from, from Trump than necessarily add to, um, you know, one of their other camps. Um, so I, I would think that those are the, the people that I've been talking to that still seem undecided they're probably not pretty, they're not passionate about any of the candidates so far, but Mm. are trying to kind of figure out what's the most effective use of the vote, knowing that New Hampshire's vote matters so much.
0: Gotcha. Does Nikki Haley or DeSantis have to win in New Hampshire in order to stay in the race? Do you see any Avenue in which one of them drops out after New Hampshire?
3: You know, if, if Nikki Haley, I think is, I think Nikki Haley will definitely stay through South Carolina because that's her home state. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That if she has a really poor showing in New Hampshire, I don't really see much of a path for her going forward. I think she'll stick it out to see how she'll do in her home state. Um, And Ron DeSantis is not polling well about 5.7%. According to our polling average currently that he's not making much of a play in New Hampshire, actually this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, he's spending both of those days in South Carolina when New Hampshire hasn't even happened yet. Um, So I think that shows you that he's not expecting to do well and, If and when he does poorly in New Hampshire, I don't think he's going to drop out. But I think that whoever does poorly in South Carolina, I would expect them to probably drop out and, um, you know, try to coalesce, you know, support within the Republican Party between Trump and whoever that one singular challenger will be.
0: Well, it's a fascinating race there in New Hampshire. It's it's been fascinating over these uh, over the last couple of months as we've watched the candidates field start off very very big, and now it's gotten gotten whittled down to three. But it does sound like we're going to have these three for a, a little while yet, and still a, a couple of days for those undecideds in New Hampshire to uh, to get their to get their final decisions made before they head to the polls next week. I want to remind everybody to make sure to check out the Hill's Decision Desk HQ. Uh, that's a good place to go for all the latest political information, and they're going to have live results of uh, of the New Hampshire primary and everything coming out down the pike. So I want to encourage you to check that out and check out all of the work that Kate Martell is doing over at thehill.com as well. Kate, thank you so much for joining me on the DC Debrief. I really appreciate it.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right. One of the some of the other things we're watching over the next few days as you're listening to this podcast, you you may be you may be at the March for Life rally in Washington, D.C., but certainly uh, aware that that's happening. That is taking place here on in in snowy Washington, D.C. on this on this Friday. And of course, next week you have the New Hampshire primary on Tuesday. All right. Time for the closer. This is this is no joke, everybody humorous and quirky messages on those electronic signs you see over the top of highways, you know they have some kind of about reminding to wear your seatbelt, but sometimes they have a funny little phrase that makes you chuckle as you're as you're doing 60-75 miles an hour on the highway. Well, if the government has their way, those catchy little signs are soon going to disappear. The messages anyway. The Federal Highway Administration has given states 2 years to implement A bunch of different changes outlined in a new 1,100-page manual that came out last month, and it includes rules that spell out what signs can say, as well as other traffic control devices. Tighter regulation on these things. Administration officials argue that overhead electronic signs that have obscure meanings, references to pop culture, some of them intending to be funny, they will be banned in 2026 because they argue... Those messages can be misunderstood or distracting to drivers. What? (laughs) The agency, part of the U.S. Department of Transportation, said signs should be simple, direct, brief, legible, and clear, and only be used for important information such as warning drivers of crashes ahead, adverse weather conditions, and traffic delays, uh, seatbelt reminders, warnings about the dangers of speeding or driving impaired will also be allowed, but you're not allowed to inject, you wouldn't be allowed to inject any humor into them. You wouldn't be allowed to inject any pop cult- culture references. They would be boring and stayed. And this actually flies in the face of what consumers want, drivers want, Dri- people like these things. If you're driving along the highways, you you get a chuckle when when you see a a, a comparison to Harry Potter or 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 some some uh, some some pop culture TV show or there's a limerick, you know, that they put up there reminding you to keep your seatbelt fastened or whatever it happens to be there little bits of of personality. Uh, coming through in, in these different in these different signs, I I have often chuckled or, or thought, hey, that's funny. And some of them miss. I'm like, oh, that's dumb. You know, they're not always home runs, but you appreciate these civil servants trying to brighten your day or to get their message across in a in a unique way. Because sometimes that'll that'll be a better reminder. You're more likely just to ignore the sign if it's just going to have something boring up there on the screen uh, up there on the, the the message board. And and most Americans like them. Uh, Polling shows most Americans, the vast majority of, of Americans, like the little messages on these signs. So we'll see if this gets a lot of pushback from states, if if this seems like the kind of thing that a bipartisan group of lawmakers will look to squash because most people like them, whether you're Republican or Democrat. It's going to be one of those really minor little things that gets a, a little law that gets passed in late in 2024, the middle of 2025. Nobody's going to really pay attention to it. But, um, you know, it's one of those things that we mentioned here at the end of the podcast, uh, just because it's a, it'd be a fun little thing that goes away and, and nobody wants that. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of the D.C. Debrief. Again, please remember to subscribe to this fine podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else it is you get your podcasts. And again, please tell your friends and family members here about the D.C. Debrief. We'd love to have them along every week so that they can figure out and find out what's going on here in our crazy nation's capital. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on the D.C. Debrief.